Welcome, esteemed listener, to the Video Game Hall of Fame. And a happy spooky season to you all. As I, your host, Alex, present to you three ghouls of the podcasting world. We have Scary Simon, Spooky Steve, and Rob Zombie. How are we all doing on this fine, frightful eve? How do you feel about Edge going to AEW, Rob Zombie? <laughs> we didn't take his song with him, did he? So he's fine. Well, yeah. Or disgruntled, whichever. Sorry, no one will get that. <laughs> no, don't all talk at once. No, oh, it all froze. Oh, did it? Uh, well, froze for me. I heard Steve say. I heard Simon say something about something. Yeah, don't worry about what he said. Yeah, I got it. That's all he wanted. Yeah, I was. I was just trying to pop the host. It worked. <laughs> to answer your question, I'm frightfully good. Spooky season is upon us. I saw the first. I saw my first trick or treaters yesterday. So uh, it's here. It's happening. Halloween is coming. That's early. That is early to be asking. It is early. I mean, strange, I know this is kind of given shattering the illusion a little bit about when this comes out. But um, <laughs> yeah, good point. It, it is. It is early. Yeah, much like we are. But this will come out the day before Halloween, so it's pretty good. Going to be pretty good timing. Yeah, super spooky. But because we're doing it so early, ladies and gentlemen, guys and ghouls, we do not have the answer to who won the poll for games from dead or dying genres. We have absolutely no idea how that's going to go. It hasn't even gone out yet. The episode's not even out at time of recording. So we're pushing straight on into horror games, which is what we'll be covering on this episode. Does Simon have a point? Uh, Did we officially induct street fighter 2 or did we just say it looks like it's gonna be? oh yes that's correct yes yeah i'm halfway through editing that one i should have remembered that um yeah we half inducted street fighter 2 but now we can fully confirm that it did indeed win the poll for the games we did a 180 on it's hard to remember where we're all at with all of this now because it's been uh we're doing so many so quickly let's get the get the totals up for that one before we congratulate Steve, who I hope he re- uh, saw the fact that I was so annoyed that he won so many polls, I gave him the SNES version into the Hall of Fame. So enjoy that. Did notice. Thanks, that mate. Yep. It's, the not, best. it's the best one. Decided not to give you the uh, the benefit or the uh, the joy of, of knowing that I spotted it. But yeah. yeah, he did not bite, ladies and gentlemen. He did not bite. <laughs> it is the best version, uh, but there's no two ways about it. Yeah. I suppose I could have done the arcade version, I guess. Well, yeah, that would have made sense, wouldn't it? But I knew you were being a dick, so it's fine. <laughs> Enjoy your moment. Thanks. I don't get any others. The reason for that is uh, Simon's Planescape Torment got 9% of the votes. And Bloodborne and Persona 5 shared second place with 28%, but 35% was, of course, Street Fighter 2, a game that has to be in the Hall of Fame anyway. So I have absolutely no grudges with it going in. And maybe Bloodborne will go in. What episode is this? Is this is this the pre- the one prior to the the big yeah? Little, this is episode nineteen. Yeah, I mean to be fair, you could put Bloodborne forward for this one. Yeah, there was something lined up that has been scrapped or at least taken off the shelf because we're gonna on that episode, episode twenty, where we all put in an old game that hasn't got in that we decide we then pick the next sort of five or six categories in a row that we're going to be doing. One of them that was going to come up would have been this seven out of ten thing, and I, I've, ever since I saw that, I've just been constantly thinking that Steve should have saved that Lord of the Rings game for that because 
that's like the best seven out of ten game ever, pretty much, or one of. Yeah, there would have been. But you could use the other Lord of the Rings game. Oh well, you lives and learns, don't you? Yeah. Well, you live anyway. Oh, we've got an email, haven't we? I better get the emails open for later. Let's see if we've got any more than one. So, to those who were disappointed last time around that we didn't have anything, we've <laughs> we have got one email tonight, and I'm sure it will not disappoint. But I have not read it, and neither has anybody else. So, we're going to be going in blind on that one. Who do we want to go first for horror games this evening? Is it Steve again because he keeps winning? Or well, I kind of did that last it? time, didn't I? I took my victory lap last time. So, seeing as we don't know, because I win so bloody always, you know, it's getting boring yeah. going first. So, we'll let one of you. All right, I'll go, go first because I, I don't think I, I don't think I really go first that often. So, does anyone want to guess what mine is? Um, I would guess it's a Resident Evil game. That's correct. Does anyone want to narrow say it down? Resident Evil Two Remake. I've actually gone for the original Resident Evil 2. Oh, have you? Yeah. Um, just, I guess, I've Good had... Good choice. Yeah. I've had some lovely memories playing that growing up. Um, it's probably what me and one of my best friends bonded over was he he knew so much about Resident Evil. He, he had a PlayStation, I had an N64, so I came into it, the series, almost totally blind throughout all of that generation. And I didn't actually play any Resident Evil games, of, of my own anyway, until uh, the Dreamcast which is where I got Resident Evil 2 and 3 and Code Veronica. But um, he used to, my friend used to have like this really weird Rain Man-like memory for Resident Evil games. He would know everywhere to go, where all the items were. He could draw the maps in like history class. He'd sit there drawing the map of the mansion and all that kind of stuff. So although the remake of it is probably peak Resident Evil in terms of like, it's got the it's got the setting, it's got the the scares and the zombies, and but it also plays to a way that is a lot more palatable to a lot of people in this current age. It's not too action heavy or anything. So that to me is probably like the the peak that Resident Evil has ever been. Resident Evil Two is my favourite game of them all. Um, came out in nineteen ninety eight. Apparently, they started the production on it like a month after Resident Evil One came out either came out or finished i can't remember which way around it is um and it was to be directed by uh hideki kamiya who is quite topical at the moment because he's just left platinum games and he's gonna apparently start his own game studio soon but he's not allowed to he's got like a non-compete clause which i thought only happened in wrestling but he's not allowed to work anywhere for a year so he's just doing youtube stuff he has also blocked me on twitter as well so I've ticked that off the life bingo card after I tried to tag him in something. When I was when I nominated Bayonetta, I tried to tag him in it, and he blocked me, which I guess I was aiming for. But he got about two-thirds of the way through Resident Evil 2 in its first iteration, which you can now get hold of online. There is, there is versions of there out uh, that are out there available to get hold of, of Resident Evil 1.5. Um Apparently, he just decided it was going in totally the wrong direction, was not happy with any of it. Lots of people internally weren't happy with it either. So they scrapped it completely and started again and brought Shinji Mikami, who was the director of Resident Evil 1, they brought him back to help produce this version. And to me, it's, you know, I know we often go on about um, putting in the first of a series if it's, you know, a significant thing into the Hall of Fame rather than a later sequel, but... Although Resident Evil 1 was a real, you know, revolution in the games industry, it was it basically developed its own genre of survival horror. It was groundbreaking at the time. 
to go back and play it now, although it does, if you if you can handle tank controls, it holds up pretty nicely. I still like the game quite a lot. It's very, very schlocky and camp, and it's not the nicest to look at. Some of the zombie designs are basically just blokes who are grey. Um, Resident Evil 2, on the other hand, to me just does everything, and I mean everything better than the first game. Um, the story is, is a lot better. The acting and the dialogue is far better. They obviously actually try to get actors involved with it this time rather than white people that showed up at an airport or for an audition or whatever, the first four that walked in. Um, the setting I absolutely love. I think the police station in Resident Evil 2 is one of the greatest sort of levels or worlds or settings, whatever you want to call it, of any game ever. Even the little bits of Raccoon City I absolutely love as well. It obviously introduced other iconic stuff as well. You've got Leon, Kennedy and Claire, Redfield. You've got the liquor. You've got William Birkin turning into the G-virus-C tyrant thing. You've got Mr. X. You've got the the RPD. Um, it's just the ultimate survival horror game for me. It's got, like I said, graphics that are that were really good for the time there's been a um seamless this part of this seamless hd project that's out there at the moment if you can if you've got a decent enough pc there's a i think it's just see just google seamless hd resident evil they've done one two and three now um they, they they've really really smartened up the game so they look so nice to play now i i'm a big fan of tank controls even now i think it had better action it had better pacing much better sound just a fantastic game that I could play forever. I love the puzzles in it. I love. I just love everything about it. Um, and I've played loads of the versions. Like the, the, even the GameCube version is fine. The N sixty four one is something of an achievement. Like it seems weird to suggest that porting a game from a system that's half the bits would be really really easy. But because obviously the N sixty four had cartridges instead of CDs, the fact that they managed to get all of the the dialogue in there and all of the FMVs and all of that stuff onto an N64 cartridge is some kind of wizardry. So just a really, really great game that obviously performed far better than the first one and really launched the series into the stratosphere to, you know, carry on as it has done to this day where it's still absolutely massive. And I love so many of the games from it, but my favorite still is the original Resident Evil 2, which I hope everybody here has played. I'm sure you have. I have played it. I was going to, um, uh, I consider it as a nomination, though I was going to go for the, the first one. You're absolutely right in everything okay. that you're saying, no doubt. Um, it's an improvement in almost every way. But I do think that you're probably underselling the the impact that Resident Evil, the original, yeah. had at the time, because that really was everyone was talking about it. It was it was groundbreaking. It was yeah. It was the word. It's just the fact that the second one eclipsed it, and obviously the amount of time has gone on. We kind of diminish how how good the first one was, but for the time yeah. and for what else was around, it was is a truly standout title. And I was very jealous because, of course, it came out on the PlayStation first. Yeah, it same. did come to the Saturn, which was the director's cut. So it had a, um, uh, a few extra bells and whistles on it. Oh, the, the original. The original, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But, the, uh, 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 but by that time, I think the second one was not long around the corner. Of course, that got canned on the, uh, on the Saturn. It did. Um, it did. But yeah, it was a fantastic game. And for me, it was the, probably the standout of um, the, the PlayStation at that time, it was the one thing that really set it apart until it arrived on the Saturn. So, yeah, absolutely, um, definitely. Uh, it's a little side, actually. Um, I, I uh, had, as you guys know, I messaged about someone quite cool followed me on Twitter the other day, a YouTuber that I'm a big fan of, probably because uh, uh, I've been 
banging on about um, Peter Molyneux, if there's any uh, if there's any connection as it wasn't just a random ad. But funnily enough, um, yesterday I had an ad from a guy called Joe White, who voices uh, Chris Redfield in the. Uh, uh, that's that's mad, isn't it? I think that I think that might be because of somehow because of me in a weird way because yeah. he followed me and a winner is you right. Because I think he follows all of KDB's stuff, okay. including Gears Intel, which I am on. Yeah. And he follows that because I think he follows the Resident Evil podcast that KDB's on. So I think it's somehow gone down it's the pipeline. filtered down. I'm picking oh, up your scraps. I'll take us. it, mate. I'll take your scraps from yeah, Mr. Redfield. Yeah, David messaged me and was like, is this, a, is this a bot? Because this guy looks like he's the voice actor for Chris Redfield, but he's following us. I was like, well, I'd, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, really uh, yeah. I did have to Google, actually, because I was like, I was thinking... Yeah, the voice acting was really bad in the original. If I ever have to talk to him, I'll have to come up with... And I was like, no, he's a remake that he did. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, it's all, right. it's all I good. I don't, <laughs> don't have to lie to be polite. But yeah, I thought that was quite cool. But yeah, no... But the um, other one you got following you is... Uh, I'm still so jealous of that because I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, he's ace. Um, he did a great tweet today, actually. But that's... um, Yeah, yeah, no, definitely get no uh, uh, no kickback from me. I would have gone for the first one, as you know, but that's, that's me yeah. all over. But yeah, good shout. Yeah. Only because you could play it on Sega. Although, like I said, this this was you know, if I put the little thing up, no, I can't put the Dreamcast version. Well, the f- if this wins, and I put it on the little pedestal P- no, uh, PNG, you, I've got to use the PlayStation. You've got box. to, you've got to. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, let's not diminish how good the first one was. I mean, I've, to be honest, my standout moments. If I think about the Resident Evil, they they come from the first one. Um, but that's just because it's entirely new to me. You know, that's I, I was yeah. I was around at the time. I, the, the the dog smashing in through the window is everyone's favorite yeah. favorite jump scare. First time you clap eyes on a zombie yeah. um, munching on the head of a corpse or whatever it is. It's just yeah, so many little moments that that really stick. That's stick true. With me. So um, yeah, good shout. Yeah, I guess I always I always pit that that dog through the window moment against the one in two where you're going around that corner and you're about to go through a door and across the window the liquor crawls along it yeah and you know you're about to walk into the corridor where it's where it is and then there's the whole cutscene of it hanging from the ceiling and dropping down and all that yeah it's pretty good at scaring uh, the bejesus out of you um it was yeah it's not you know obviously it's not going to scare anybody now the, the the remake will the remake's terrifying but um in terms of horror games this obviously is part of a series that really pioneered proper horror in video games because before before this you had you know horror themed stuff but i can't think of a lot of games from the 16-bit era era that were even remotely scary was it resident evil um no that no silent hill that was based on something called sweet home no it's resident evil it is resident evil yeah which is that's like a point and click game which is based off of a film yeah um, and I, there's, there's a series of Sweet Home on Netflix now. I don't think they're related. There are some predisturbing games on the 16-bit and even 8-bit consoles because um, I had to research them. I was going to say you must have. Minutes, yeah, they yeah. must have some reason to say this. Um, yeah, but yeah, there, there's some surprising stuff out there. But it's most, send, send that list to me. I need to know. Mostly kind of body horror. Yeah, um, which weirdly works really well in pixel pixel form. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I I played Resident Evil. I, I used to, uh, there was a friend in, in my home village and he had a PlayStation 1 and I had a Saturn. And every now and again, we'd, we'd swap. And he had Resident Evil. And I must admit, I didn't really like it. Um, I don't know. I just, I've never been, I've never felt zombies, you know? And I found it quite slow. But he, he also had a demo of Resident Evil 2, which I enjoyed a lot more. Mm. I, the, the pace was a lot more natural. And I, 
yeah i kind of uh kind of i liked the main character more um i remember there's a bit where you're on a bus and they you have to walk through the bus is that yeah. right yeah, yeah yeah that's right yeah um so that was pretty cool but yeah i, I yeah I, I would agree. I think I think number two is really good. I think it's a lot better than number one from my limited experience. Yeah, and no, I guess it's kind of important to remember as well that that two had the two different campaigns for Leon and Claire, where they actually had something unique about them involved, whereas Resident Evil One did have the two discs and the two campaigns, but they were mostly just difficulty settings jazzed up. Whereas Chris is on hard and uh, Jill is on easy, but Resident Evil Two, the Leon and Claire campaigns actually do change quite a lot. Um, you have different supporting characters that you meet along the way, and they're different objectives. And then, of course, you've you've got the B games of each of them as well. You've got four campaigns across the two discs that you could have played. Um, and of course, the the B games for Resident Evil Two introduced Mister X, who was more prominent in the remake for the whole of the game, but he's only in the B campaigns in the original. So just a crazy amount of value for that game. Rob, you're a Resident Evil 2 guy. Um, when you when I guessed Resident Evil 2 and you said, I'm going for the original, I immediately thought you meant the original Resident Evil oh, I see. Resident Evil 1. So when you started talking, I was incredibly confused for the longest time, but I get it now. I mean, um, yeah, I, I love Resident Evil, and I've talk, I don't, I might have talked about this on the Sega Mania podcast or something like that, but I... When I was moving from my Mega Drive to PlayStation or Saturn or whatever, I was adamant I was going to get a Saturn. And then my mate along the street, Dan, for his birthday, just got this new game, Resident Evil, that I didn't know anything about on his PlayStation 1. And I went along to watch him play it, and that was like I spent the rest of the day there, and I could not believe my eyes. Um, the the dog bit jumping through the window is the, the first jump scare I've ever experienced in a video game. It, it was absolutely terrifying. Everything about the game, like you mentioned, it was revolutionary. It was groundbreaking. It created a new genre. I just couldn't believe it. I'd never seen anything like it before. And I, I would have maybe gone for the first one. But as far as Resident Evil 2 goes, I mean, I remember playing through it. And I do remember the loving the fact that when I finished it, I could then pop the other disc in and there was another mm. game for us to play, which I didn't maybe didn't realize when I started playing it. But I'm more, much more recently, I've played the remake. And um, aside from Resident Evil 7 in VR, the remake of Resident Evil 2 is probably the scariest video game experience I've had. I remember hiding in a save room while Mr. X was patrolling around outside (laughs) and I had no idea where he was and I was genuinely too scared to go out because I thought, (laughs) I've no no idea where he is. He might be right there and because you can't kill him, it's, it's, it's a terrifying prospect that you could go around a corner and he's just there, forever stalking you, forever chasing you. Um, yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I thought the remake was quite short, but I mean, the based on the the game that it was based on, it was always going to be quite short. Yeah. Um, and I want to pick up the Resident Evil Four remake, but I've I've literally I've good. just not got around to it yet because um, backlog. I don't see the point. <laughs> pay, I don't see the point in paying thirty five quid for it when I'm not going to get to play it for another six months. But um. Yeah, Resident Evil 2, very worthy choice. And I think there's other Resident Evils you could have gone for that would have been equally worthy, like yes, 2 or 4. Uh, sorry, yeah. the first one or 4. Yeah, I love the original Resident Evil 4 and the remake of 4. 
I really like three. I like Code Veronica. I love all. I love so yeah, many. I think of them. Code Veronica. Yeah, if I was definitely. to rank them, I think I'd put I'd put the original like quite far down the list, which is probably why I didn't want to nominate yeah. it. I think it's about just, Veronica. I was just going to say I think that's definitely worthy of a mention as well because that uh, that seemed to like take the, the another leap as well. Um, it's more than worthy of the remake treatment, that's for sure. Yeah, if people are talking about like they're going to remake Resident Evil Five, which I really hope they don't do. I really hope Code Veronica gets some love because it deserves it. That Dino Crisis. Yeah, it seems to get missed out a bit because it was um, because it was on the Dreamcast, I think, doesn't it? But I don't think it did. Never came to yeah. GameCube or anything like that, did it? No, it did come to it GameCube come and GameCube. PS2, right? Yeah, but it was a bit, you know, a few years later. Yeah, so, so you didn't have the interest. Yeah. I played yeah. Code Veronica on a on a Dreamcast. Uh, what are those things they have in shops? Like a pod. Yeah. Um, in a nightclub in Longleat. Wow, that the most, yeah. that's the most bizarre connection ever. Resident Evil yeah. nightclub Longleat. You, you yeah. mean like the, the town, not the safari park? I presume. No, I mean the safari park. So there, <laughs> there used to be a nightclub at Longleat called. Oh, what was it called? I can't remember what it was called. Google it. Nightclub Longleat. Are you sure and you just uh, weren't taking loads of LSD and wandering around the enclosure? No, I'm, I was just drinking, um, <laughs> and there was. <laughs> There was a, a Dreamcast pod that they must have just got from a shop or something. And Resident Evil Co. Veronica was there. And, you know, we got there early and <laughs> the night wasn't flowing yet. And I was like, I'll play this. And that, that was a really bizarre Resident game Evil. to have in a, in a nightclub as well, isn't it? You expect something like, you know, a fighting game or, or some kind of sport. Yeah, something that's, you know, a bit chill yeah. and not, you know, too involved yeah. and requiring puzzles. An and hour and a half worth thinking. of zombie puzzle solving in a nightclub. <laughs> yeah. Is it um, called Oscars? Yes, I was about to Google it. Closed down in it, 2003 after 28 years of being open. Jesus, that was what longer ago than I thought. Uh, Resident Evil 2 actually is also in one of my favourite episodes of Spaced as well. Oh, and that, that's the episode that inspired Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, it is the why, episode. Yeah, was, you're right. That was why they went on to make Shaun of the Dead after that scene. Yeah, but I just love that that episode so much, especially yeah. when he's like quoting Leon, like, there's no reason for us to stay here any longer. Let's split up, look for survivors and get out of here. So good. Can I talk briefly? About, I know nobody's going to pick it, so can I talk briefly about Resident Evil 7 on PlayStation VR? Oh, yeah, please. Um, I'm too scared to even try that. Yeah, so and like this is this is a bit of a shameful admittance, but I got my PlayStation VR for Christmas 2019 and then immediately bought Resident Evil 7. It's so incredibly immersive like when you you see the introductory scene you know what's going on and you get to the big scary mansion it's the entire game right yeah yeah it's a full yeah. game in vr but walking around the mansion outside is scary enough i've owned that game for nearly four years and every time i get inside the mansion i rip the headset off and i can't play another minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm too scared i know what i know what's in there I played that in VR, in again on a display pod in a shop in broad daylight, <laughs> uh, surrounded by people uh, in the most safest environment you could imagine. And I noped out before I got to any kind of entity. Yeah, just look, just the fact that you can kind of look around the corner of a wall. Yeah. Um, it's hideous playing that in VR. Good. Yeah, you're all just and playing it logically. Are, the graphics are downgraded as well, so it doesn't oh. look as snazzy as it, it still looks. Br- it still looks brilliant. Oh, oh yeah, but you, yeah, but it's oh, it's just um, it's yeah. so atmospheric. It's, yeah, it's the, too uh, 
<laughs> Jesus. And I mean, on, in VR as well, the first PlayStation VR game I played was a game called Until Dawn: Rush of Blood, which is like, the, a the, like the roller coaster horror, one. horror roller coaster game, yeah, and yeah. being able to lean forward and see what's around corners before you reach them. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah, even you might, you might sit, think even though I'm sitting it, in the house, so yeah. scary. You might think it would make it less scary because you can have a sneaky peek, but it just makes it so much worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Resident Evil. Yeah. It's I mean, one of my favourite game series of all time, isn't it? It's probably going to win. Love it. Mention survival horror, and I mean, it's the, I don't the know. first. Even if people aren't gamers, they know the third of Resident Evil. True. Talk about VR. Didn't um, Alien Isolation get the VR treatment? Did it? I hope not. I had a, that's, that's, I, that game is probably the scariest that's, one. That's I've something ever I don't think I could I could handle in VR. Nah. Um, someone did tell me they're playing it, but they might have been absolutely bullshitting me. I don't know. Um, it's possible. There's a there's a mod to allow you to play it on Oculus Quest One and Two. Right. Okay. That might be what he does. He's a bit of a bit of a modder, so it's quite possible. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't fancy that. Wouldn't fancy Resident Evil either. No. In fact, Meta looks about as scary as I could go on on VR. That's a freaky looking place, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, that's terrifying. I wouldn't want to see around the corners of that. <laughs> but that's me. I open up the floor to whoever wants to go next. Cool. All right. I will go. I will go next. Um, I will, yeah, I'll start by saying I'm not a massive fan of the horror genre. Um, and I don't have a lot that I would call straight up horror in my collection. Um, but there's two that really stand out. Um, and I do love both of them. Um, I won't say what one is. I'll, I'll save it for the honorable mentions at the end, just in case someone picks it. Cause it is, it is popular. Um, and it's kind of relevant at the moment, um, but I just I'll just go straight into my other one. It, it's um, it was originally released on the PC in two thousand and five, but I had it when it came out on the console a bit later. Um, so if I say if I say the phrase "first encounter assault recon" to you, does that mean does that mean anything to anyone? That's the uh, winner is you podcast that's just come out today. Is it? Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, it. I did. Yeah, so that is an acronym, and that stands for fear. So it's the get. I'm going for the game F dot E dot A dot R. Fear. Don't try and Google that, by the way, in that form, because it will always think you're trying to go to a website, and it will be like, can't find that URL. Really yeah. annoying. But if you Google fear on its own as the word, you're never going to find the game either. Just search fear video game. Yeah, you're going to have to. So yeah. Uh, I will get straight into it. So, Fear, it, yeah, it came out in 2005 on the PC. Um, I'd seen the PC version. I must have seen video of it or seen someone playing it around the house, but my PC would never run it. Um, and I was always interested in it because it looked a bit, it had a bit of a, a Deus Ex vibe in that in those early days of, of kind of immersive shooters, um, we were moving on from fast-paced death deathmatch type things and we were we were getting more atmospheric and we were talking to, to characters um, and we were, we were kind of exploring realistic environments like offices and warehouses and stuff. And it had that kind of vibe to it. And I always liked the look of it. And then in 2006, it came out on the 360 and I played the demo. And I remember playing that demo like it was yesterday. Um, Cause you, you, uh, you get into it, you talk with a bloke in a car um, you get out of the car and you explore a wastewater treatment facility and kind of like you hear some whispers and stuff and it, there's a, 
it, it does that thing. It does that thing that Halo does in its first level, where it kind of it kind of shows you the enemy, or you hear the enemy, but it doesn't actually let you fight them by cleverly keeping them behind doors and windows and stuff for quite a while. Um, and there's a bit where you climb, you climb down a ladder, um, and you've done lots of ladders by this point, so you know that when you're climbing down a ladder, it takes away control for a moment while your character kind of kind of turns around and mounts the ladder, and then you look back in the direction you came. Um, and there's a bit where that happens, and you look back, and suddenly there's these these feet there, and a huge musical sting comes in. Um, and there's a little girl with straggly hair, a red dress, and it scared the absolute bejesus out of me, it did. I don't mind admitting, and I was like, I need to get this game. So I got it. So um, I'll just describe it a bit. Uh, a lot of the, so it's an FPS. It's one of these games that, that if it, if you just look at the gameplay, it's an FPS. It's got this like brilliant selection of weapons, um, really good solid gameplay really good kick to all the all the all the different kind of weapons all the automatic weapons work really well the shotgun's really violent all that sort of stuff you want from an fds it holds um, up very nicely as well <laughs> having just played it last week yeah for the first time ever i can see that it, it doesn't feel dated oh, first time that. ever geez yeah because yeah, it's um they've boosted it on on the series x now so it goes full 60 fps and nice that stuff if you put the disc in um and it's got bullet time style mechanics nice. yeah um, and it just works so well. It, it, like a lot of the game takes place in these office environments and, and a lot of the scenery is destructible. So it's got that John Woo thing going on. Um, really stylish gunfights, glass and screens breaking everywhere. Um, bullet trails going through smoke. And on that alone, it would be a really, really good game. Um, the enemies are uh, this kind of clone army. I'm gonna, I might spoil, are you going to be upset if I spoil stuff? If you're playing it for the first time. I finished it. The podcast is okay, out. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the enemy, they're, they're like a clone army. And they're created by a private military company called Armacham. Um, and they're all linked to a psychic commander who's like the villain of, of the piece called Pax, Paxton Fettel. And he's gone rogue. Um, and that's where the spookiness comes in. So throughout the game, you'll have visions of this little girl. Um, and it, like I say, it's a traditional scary child, red dress, straggly hair. Um, and she's running around, she's leaving bloody footprints everywhere, she's giggling. Um, and some of these little scenes are so are really well done and they're really unsettling. Again, like we're talking 2005, so it's not going to, you know, it's not going to blow you away compared to, you know, that fish guy in Resident Evil Village who turns into a massive fish and pukes up everywhere. It's not like, <laughs> <laughs> you know who I mean. Yeah, I know um, what you mean. It's, it's, a different, it's a different kind of... Uh, Different kind of horror. Um, Certainly wears its influences on its sleeve, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, So, yeah, uh, sometimes you'll see this little girl running around or she'll, like, appear on security screens. There's one bit where she appears on this massive screen really close, and that that gave me a a moment as well. Um, uh, Sometimes you'll kind of be taken into a vision, so you'll be waiting, like, the corridor you're in will suddenly be full of blood. Um, and she'll be at the end of the corridor, and the only thing you can do is walk towards her, but you really don't want to, um, and then she'll disappear again, and, and you're back, and then the whole atmosphere starts ramping up again. Um, and as you go through the game, she'll start appearing in a different form, which is this kind of older, um, pale, lurching, emaciated, uh, like, skeletal woman um, with even longer, straggly hair. Um, 
And at, like late on in the game, she can actually hurt you in this form as well. Whereas prior to that, she's just like messing with you. Um, the character is called Alma Alma Wade, uh, and she's like this. Re- story goes, uh, she's this really powerful psychic who is used by Alma Cham. Um, her genetic code was used to make the clone soldiers. Um, the little girl is like her psychic projection. Um, but the scrawny grown-up version is what she looks like now. Um, she's been being kept in this psychic-proof vault because she's so dangerous and she's been so messed up by how they've treated her. Um, one of the things she did to mess her up, one of the things they did, the Armacham, to mess her up was forcefully impregnate her. Um, and she had twins. One is Paxton Fettel. At 14? Well. I think. It was, t- well, it was too young, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> One of- <laughs> <laughs> so she gave birth to twin sons. One of them was Paxton Fettel, who's the main villain. And the other one is you, Mr. Protagonist, called the Point Man. This, the story in the first game, like it's really cool the way it all unravels and it's, it's quite simple. Um, you can kind of see it coming if you, if you think, if you're not too friggin' terrified to be thinking about it. Um, but, but in a good way, like it's satisfying. Um, it does get more conflict. I'll talk briefly about the sequels. So you've got Fear 2, uh, Project Origin, and you've got Fear F3R or Fear 3. They do the, the thing where it's F3AR, and they're more action-focused. They do the Dead Space thing where the sequels get more action-y as they go along, and then, I think the third one was focused on co-op multiplayer as well. Um, they're both still really good games, but they, they don't, they're not horror games. They're like spooky action games. And then uh, there was a, weirdly, there was a expansion called, no, I think the expansion was called Project Origin, which was made by a company. Project Origin was what they were going to call it when they lost the license for the work, for the name Fear, and then they got it back and added it as a subtitle. There's like Perseus Mandate and, uh, I don't know what the other one is, but there's, there's two expansions that they, called the fear files when they brought it yes the fear thing. files yeah and there but then the the original makers which is sierra i believe is it yeah. sierra yeah got mm-hmm. it back yes. and those are now officially non-canon yeah that's right yeah they basically yeah. just like booted it all out yeah, yeah. Like, forget about all this um yeah. but i think fear the first fear is bloody brilliant um when we did the fps episode early on it like I was really struggling because Steve chose Halo and I wanted to choose Halo Reach and I didn't want to do another Halo and I just didn't know what else to choose and I went with I went with Duke Nukem as if anyone remembers that far back. Um, if I wasn't saving Fear for the Halloween edition, I would have gone with that because I think it's that good a first person shooter. I think it's a much better first person shooter than a horror game. I would say, but well, but that that's the thing. You played it now. Yeah, I, mean, I played it back That's then, true. and it gave me the wiggins. I couldn't play it. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember getting home from work. I was working. I was working at a really busy shop at the time, and I'd get home and I'd be exhausted, and I and I'd play it, and it. I couldn't play it for more than like an hour, an hour and a half at a time because it was just stressing me out so much. Um, and I played through it three times, and on the third, by the third playthrough, you kind of know where the encounters are, and and I'm I'm like running there to see if I can see where she pops up and where she runs off to. But the first playthrough, good Lord, it, it gave me 
a heart condition probably i don't know but it it's an example of so many horror games don't nail the gameplay like they're clunky they're slow like by choice a lot of the time but fear is fear is a really good horror game that in my opinion like absolutely nails the horror and the gameplay it's it's 9.5 out of 10 in both and that is why i think it's a hall of fame worthy game f.e.a.r and i've been looking forward to bringing that up ever since we started this <laughs> this uh podcast any of you other guys played it no nothing about it other than what you've just told us yeah now i'm aware of it again never played it but you've had that in your back pocket for how long? About half a year now? More? Good. Do you think it'll beat Resident Evil Almost 2? Almost the entire podcast. I don't. I don't. But it, no. it means a lot to me to put it out there as one of the options. Because I, I think it's a it's really under, underappreciated series. Um, and it's really, really good. And you play Resident Evil now. And it's like, you know, the gameplay just doesn't hold up at all. Don't the, agree with that. Oh, that's a bold <laughs> statement. The, the first one, I did, no, I think it's still good. Like I say, you have to be you have to be fine with tank controls. But other than that, yeah. there's, there's okay. Yeah. What about the first Silent Hill? Is that gameplay still? I won't actually. No, no I, I, I won't bring that up because someone might be someone might be. Yeah, actually, forget forget everything I just said. I mean, um, Alex, you you've just played through this f dot a dot a dot r game. Yeah. Do you think it's a 9.5 out of 10 for the things that Simon was saying? Um, uh, no, I would I would very much advise Simon not listen to that podcast because I think David and I both gave it a 6 if we were to rate it. Um, it is a very good shooter, especially for its time. And I think I said to, to David on that, on that episode that like, while I didn't find myself getting scared by it at all, primarily because I went into the game thinking it was something that it isn't. And I thought that Alma Wade, which is basically the little girl from the ring, um, was sort of like a Mr. X, like constant threat. And she was maybe going to insta kill you. Like every time you saw her, she doesn't do that. She only really does that towards the end, like the very end. So I think once I suddenly realized that, Oh, she's not actually doing anything to me. She's just there for the, for like the narrative purpose at the moment it did take away some of the scares from me. Now, I guess if I didn't go in there thinking it was going to be something else, I probably would have found it not scarier. What I said to him anyway was that I really appreciated the things that it did to build up the horror aspects of the game. They just maybe don't hold up quite as well now when we've had so many crazy, scary things come out in the last sort of five years or so. And I think the game makes you a little bit too powerful with with the shooting and the the array of weapons and the slow-mo that I never felt like I was under too much threat from the enemies. But I guess like with me being a, a naive player back in the day, um the, the the fact that you're so powerful and then when yeah. Alma turns up and, and you know you she can stop you moving. Uh she can completely change your surroundings. Um, yeah made it quite effective um i didn't like it it just it just worked on me um but again i played it when it was released yeah the bullet like i say the bullet time in it and the weapons and stuff is all awesome like if you want just a really good first person shooter that as simon said is quite underrated for that part of it then but yeah it is a really good version of that genre and because we, we were looking at 
boomer shooters we were talking about them yeah. back along i think and um you get you get a lot of doom based boomer shooters you get a lot of doom you can based and yeah like hexen comes up a lot as well but i've noticed mm. that there are a few that are kind of trying to do the fear thing which i think is good yeah um i've been watching some videos of boomer shooters that are on the way yeah um, and you 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 see one or two come up that are like this is this is trying to replicate fear this is doing what fear was doing yeah cause it's been that, gone a while now yeah yeah and that makes me happy uh, I, there's um there's some yeah. really nice like clever horror techniques that they use in this game there's a lot of very weird sound design that they did like apparently quite a lot of it was like diy they were just like clanging around with pipes and stuff to make all these weird noises and um there'll be stuff like you know as simon suggested when you're like going down a ladder or up a ladder and you see feet at the top or like you'll be in a lift and you'll like turn around and she'll be in the corner of it and then disappear and there's loads of little bits like that that while not necessarily terrifying anymore, you can I could certainly appreciate what they were doing to be horror focused parts of the game. And I could see like I appreciated well, I appreciate all the um the the references and all the like the inspiration that the game had. It's basically like a mix of like the Matrix and the ring with a bit of a Kira in there and like it's it's a proper nerds game. I really like it. It's, it's if John Woo John Woo directed the ring. And John Woo as well, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's not enough games like that. Bullet Time's totally like disappeared recently. I think they're going to bring it back somewhat in the old uh, RoboCop game coming up. But um, the uh, the, nin- yeah, the ninja, that. the really fast ninja enemies are quite unsettling as well. The ones that kind of go invisible. Yeah, and like go yeah. up on the ceiling and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some great guns in it as well. The particle one where you basically turn people into a skeleton with a one shot is awesome. Yeah, especially yeah. in slow motion. I guess one more quick little thing as well. Why why it worked on me so so well at the time, which I did touch on when I very first started my explanation is, um, you know, up until then I played the first person shoes. I played I played your Duke Nukem's and your Halos, and um, they were all kind of in space or whatever. And this was in this was in corridors that you might walk down at your local, you know, out, out the back of the local school or whatever. Um, actually, the the second fear was heavily set in a school, and I remember when I went to look at my daughter's school before she started it, and and the school was obviously closed, right? And we were walking around this closed school, and all I could think about was fear too. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't uh, tell her that. Uh, yeah, that's fine. She'll she'll understand probably. You yeah. can't go to this one. Yeah, yeah. If you've got anyone in your class called Amber, I'm pulling yeah. you right out. Any wades in there? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think it's because it's the first. Uh, I spent well, and I, I had played Deus Ex, but again, that had the the sci-fi stuff. So it was the first game I played that had kind of a real-world modern setting that was that immersive, had those amazing graphics at the time, and then gave me the Wiggins, put chills up me. Um, so yeah, I rate it really highly. I don't think it's going to win, but I'm I'm proud to put it out there. All right, let's move on to Steve. Greetings. Um, I've got a pick today, which I'm not only certain that none of you would have picked, but I am certain will come last. Um, About time? About bloody time indeed, my friend. So um, when I was about probably six years old, I got a Commodore 64 for Christmas. Thank you to the bearded big man. Um. And there was one game in particular, um, which my uh, friend Russ and I went back to time and time again. 
And it was one that playing late at night, I probably was probably about seven, eight years old when I got it. Um, probably still playing it to 10, 10 years, 11 years old, maybe just as I got my mega drive and it was still scaring the bee Jesus out of us. And they, um, uh, during sleepovers for, for many a year. And, uh, this is a game which was not well loved at the time. Um, it didn't didn't review particularly well. I think the probably best it did is a is a seven or seven and a half, eight out of ten. Um, uh, but a lot of reviews coming in around five or six, and and some even lower. Um, but I do think it was a little bit um, a little bit harsh. Some of that because it was yes, it was a, it was a game that was maybe um, nowhere near as technically advanced as other stuff that was. A, uh, uh, doable on the cons- on the um, on the system. Sorry, at the time, but um, it played really well. And that game is uh, Domain's uh, tie-in for Friday the Thirteenth, which I absolutely love. Um, I think actually it really is a tie-in for Friday the Thirteenth Part Two because uh, Jason Voorhees is the killer and and not his not his mum. As uh, anyone who's watched Scream will surely remember um, that nugget of information. Um, but you started out, it's all fixed screens, and uh, it was a sort of a pseudo 3D environment, that sort of slightly isometric angle. Uh, and you were in a village. You started out always in the church. Uh, you could explore the different buildings. You could explore the church. Uh, you could go outside into the graveyard, into the woods. Uh, there was uh, farmland. You could also explore a barn and a house. So it wasn't, it wasn't a massive playing area, but it was varied enough. And there were 10 villagers who uh, were just meandering about. Um, you know, the farm would normally be near a farmland, um, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, but, so they, they were kind of like, sometimes stick to their areas, sometimes just wander out through the village. Now, one of those villagers was disguised as Jason. Jason in this game actually just wearing all black. He didn't actually have the, uh, the hockey mask and, and what have you. But he was disguised as one of the villagers. Now, you had to get out there. He'd always spawn in the church. Um, uh, which had very spooky music, by the way, but I'll get onto the music in a, in a minute because what I did, I think, was was brilliant. Uh, you'd wander around and you would um, have to find a, a weapon. There was projectile weapons, which did not do uh, a lot of damage, but obviously you could hit someone from you could hit them from, uh, from distance. Or you had the close quarter weapons, so you had um, uh, a chainsaw, an axe, a sword, I think, <clears throat> which were much more effective. Now, you... Um, the only way you could find out which one of the villagers was Jason would be to hit them with a weapon. So give them a quick stab, quick whack with the axe, or fire a, uh, fire an arrow at them, and they would, for a second, reveal themselves. Um, if they were Jason, they'd reveal themselves in his clothes, and then you would know it's him that you had to target. Now, if he couldn't find which one he was, he would start bumping off the villagers. And every time he did, there'd be some haunting music to come on, there'd be a blood-curdling scream, which was the first... Probably my first example of digitized speech in a game uh, that I can remember. Well, what, the speech, digitized noise, anyway. Um, and it was uh, it was pretty stark, I can tell you, when you're trying to play it on you know volume naught in the middle of the night, and not disturb your dad. You would, that would be the the thing that would always give you away. Um, but you, uh, yeah, you, so you you had to kind of like you had to he had to search him out and hope he didn't bump off too many villagers first. You would have to do that before your fright levels reached the part where you had a heart attack. So you had different fright levels. In the bottom left-hand corner, you'd have a crude image of a woman with blonde hair, and her hair would literally go up as you got uh, increasingly more scared. <laughs> um, 
Now, like I say, what it did about the music was really fantastic. <clears throat> and this actually brings me to, and you'll excuse me, any opportunity I get a chance to, to mention one of my favourite series, Shenmue. This is something which absolutely killed me about the third game in the series. Because they got this right on the Commodore 64, um, you know, 30 plus years ago. How the fuck they screwed it up in that game, I don't know. So when you were in a different area, they had loads of different like C64 renditions of, uh, I think you had a couple of Johan Bach, Bach's, sorry, um, uh, more haunting mem- melodies, as well as the Wedding March, um, which was a, a for a musical version of, I think, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. You also had Teddy Bear's Picnic and Old MacDonald Had a Farm. And they would play when you got into those right areas. But what was... What was great about it was when it started playing and you moved off the screen, it would continue and it would allow you some of that song before fading off into into the next one that was an appropriate area. Now, if you remember, Alex, you played Shenmue, one of the most Shenmue three. So the most annoying things is that every time you're in an area, it just plays that song. So if you're walking through an area, you get the start of one song and then another song start, and it's just like fucking hell. Seriously, they worked this out in the eighties, and <laughs> yeah. that was just what's so yeah. annoying. It just needed like someone to come along and go, "We can fix this." It's surely not the biggest fix in the world. So that was yeah. Anyway, but that was I thought was really um, uh, really ingenious at the time. It certainly added this in the atmosphere. Um, now, of course, this game is by no means scary by modern standards. Um, it probably may not have been scary to an adult at the time, but there was something about the the um, uh, just the atmosphere that was created through specific, particularly for that use of music, but also the, the knowing that he's out there and, and um, uh, you know, knowing that he's picking people off um, was, was pretty damn cool. And there'd be so many times I remember my friend and I just like screaming as we're running away from him. You know, even the objective is to, to fight him just like, as soon as we're like, ah, Jason's coming. And you know, it was, uh, it was my, certainly my first example of being freaked out by a video game other than something that was in my stupid kid imagination or something the game was actually doing. Um, but there was also great fun you could have with it as well, because you could, if you wanted to, decide just to help Jason and just start offering the villagers. If you thought, oh, fuck it, bollocks to him, you could just start hacking them to death with a with, with an axe and, and go on a little rampage of your own. So it was just you and Jason left. You know which one he'd be left because he's the only one still going. And you could, through what I presume was a glitch, um, you could actually bring some of them back to life. If you got an axe and you'd hacked one of the villagers down, if you managed to hit them on a certain point on the leg, it was almost like that knee-jerk reaction thing that you get the doctor's test. They would just spring back up into life and carry on walking about. And that certainly added to the freaky nature um, for me as a kid. Um, so, yeah, many, many hours spent on that game. Probably the single game I played on the most during the Commodore 64 era of my life, I would imagine. I mean, maybe Bubble Bobble in with a shout as well, but... Certainly up there, and it was not because the game was um, was deep. It was just so atmospheric and well made, and it, it it really in the when the way that those early games like captivate the imagination. When you when you can't do a lot, and when you you know on screen uh, with the power of the graphics, especially when you're a kid. For me, those early games, uh, and certainly even before that era, if you go into sort of like I had been television before that, for me, it's the difference between watching a film and reading a book. 
You know, you in a book, you you create the your mind, you create the, the pictures. You, you in the same way that when you're playing those games as a kid, your imagination filled in the blanks, and it certainly gave you enough immersion in that world to kind of let your imagination run free. And as a kid, it was great fun playing that, but also really quite scary. And and just yeah, uh, a game which is definitely underappreciated at the time, and and even more so underappreciated now. So um. Fully expecting to to swan into last place, but I will do it uh, with bells on me because uh, I'm very very pleased to nominate Friday the fourteenth, Friday the thirteenth for the Commodore sixty four. <laughs> Friday the fourteenth, nothing happened. It was a nice CC day. <laughs> they all went out for a picnic. That was it. Was a, it was a calm yeah, year. Yeah, for Calvary. Yeah, has anyone I, I loved- played? No, I, I'm watching it on YouTube at the moment. I love I loved the premise of the game, though, where <laughs> basically like, look, lads, Jason is going to go around killing people. I can save us from him, but to do so, I'm going to have to twat you. <laughs> I'm just going to give you a lot of twatting. Yeah, and then a heavier one if you are actually Jason. <laughs> and don't worry, if I get too heavy-handed, I can always bring you back to life with an axe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing a comment here that said... Um, the actual mechanic of using the cross to herd your friends to a safe room and wait for Jason to reveal himself makes it so much more of a game. Did you ever try God, that? Method? I can't even remember doing that. No, I've, I've probably had far too much fun hacking people. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> yeah. I honestly don't remember doing that. I'm not saying that I that I didn't, but it's been many, many years since I played it. And I've, um, I have gone back a few times and watched videos of other people playing it just for a trip down memory lane. Um, but no, that doesn't ring any bells at all. I did actually see a couple of other mechanics as well, which, which I wasn't familiar with. So it was not just on the C64. I think it went on the Speccy and, and uh, another system or two as well. So it's possible that there were slightly different versions. Um, I sent a picture in the chat of our session here. Is that from the game? Is that like actual sort of pixel art oh yeah so i believe this picture that you saw me the guy with the machete for his head i think yeah what would happen is if um jason had killed one of the villagers um and you stumbled upon their corpse when you walked into that room for the first time you would you would see that image oh that's and cool. that would flash up um but it would also i think it'd remember you so you didn't get that every single time you walked in it would recognize remember that you'd seen it so it didn't become monotonous it was just uh, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of like a very early jump scare, I guess. Yes, yes, if exactly. It's like flashing. Yeah, out, that's yeah. that's pretty much what it was. Yeah, and the same with the screen. Yeah. Oh yeah. I do believe they made a uh, a version of Friday Thirteenth for a couple of years back, which was um, like an online, did, yeah, um, mm, uh, asymmetric. Whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, I have days. feeling it's, it's it, from what I watched. I know it didn't review well, um, but from what I watched, it certainly looked like they were going on a similar kind of premise. I think it. I think it actually built quite a following. It might not yeah, have reviewed well, but I think it, it. They either updated it or or the users just because I think it went pretty pretty big, and and a lot of people were YouTubing it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff's always on YouTube, isn't it? Like people being loudly and very visually scared. <laughs> Are you talking about the the um, the, the remake son? The the one, yeah, the, the one you were one, talk, yeah. the one you mentioned, the recent one. Um, that gate, the game you described, and I, I just looked at a video as well. Um, it did remind me of something. Uh, there's a recent horror game that's 
um, in the kind of Spectrum C64 style called Faith. Um, if you if if you're interested in in that, it it managed to manages to be really creepy, um, despite being essentially a Commodore 64 game. Um, and it, it makes a g- good use of how creepy that early digitized speech can sound. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, if you look it up, I recommend you look it up, Steve, and anyone else who's interested. Faith, the Holy Trinity, it's called. Nice. Um, and it's it's got a real occult vibe. Um, but it's... Um, it, it what, the yogurt people? No, that's Yakult. All right, sorry. I said occult. All right, sorry. Which, just... which is the, uh, the uh, frozen yogurt. I don't know. <laughs> And uh, I, yeah, it, it could have been made on a Commodore 64, but it's like proper disturbing. <laughs> um, look at that. Nice. Well, do. I actually, to be honest, I, I as a kid, I found um, little digitized sprites quite freaky. Well, I remember one, one of my earliest recurring memories, um, sorry, recurring nightmares was um, static on the TV. So static on the TV and thinking and thinking I'm seeing little digitized um like sort of pixelated characters appearing on it. Um little black and white in and amongst the uh, the snow. Oh, there's only young people watching. We used to get static on TVs rather than a blue screen or whatever when when it's just well, that, that's the premise of that Michael Keaton film, White Noise, though, isn't it? Is it? I haven't seen it. Where yeah, I've not seen it. Yeah, um, I'll spoil it for you just so you never have to watch Thanks. it. But um <laughs> He's he thinks he's talking. I mean, I've only ever seen it once, so this is probably wrong. If anybody has watched it, please email in and tell us that I'm wrong. But he's talk. He thinks he's talking to his dead wife through white noise, um, like the the a TV that isn't tuned into a proper station. Mm-hmm. But it's actually like a demon or something, and he ends up getting uh, killed. <coughs> he's dead by the month, the ghosts. So is it, is it a rom com? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah rom com. Nice. So that's I'm my nomination and my freaky childhood memories to go, uh, you know. I'm surprised I haven't played it because, I mean, I had a Spectrum and I used to pick up all sorts. I used to play all sorts and I'd go to Cotter Booth Sales and come back with Carrier Bag for the game. But no, I've never played it. Sounds very interesting, though. Definitely worth a shot if you want to get it on an emulator. Yeah, I've got a Spectrum emulator on my uh, laptop. Maybe I'll have a stab at it. Boom, boom. Oh, that wasn't even intentional. <laughs> Just free. <laughs> Well, there we go. Friday the 13th, the computer game, apparently, to give it its full title. Which leaves just one more scary game just to come our more. way from the spook man himself. Any guesses? Silent Hill 2. I was going to put my house on you having a Resident Evil game, but... Uh... I would guess Silent Hill, unless you're going, you're going wacky and going for PT. PT's wicked. I've not played it. Uh, okay. Can't now. No, no, I missed it. Um, you can if no, you come I'm... around my house. Can I? I? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm not going for Silent Hill or, or Silent Hill 2, but I am going for another... Uh, I'll just tell you what I'm going for. The Last of Us. Oh, okay. That counts, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it's got zombies in it. Yeah. Spooky. Right, um, who's played it for starters? I have. I finished it. How yes. much? How much can I spoil that game on this podcast? Because I found it quite difficult. You're to also make spoiling notes. a TV show as well at the same time, now, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Shall I try and keep it vague? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll try and keep it vague as best I can. So, 
first off, what do you think of it if you've played it, Alex? I, I th- there was a period um, again on a, another podcast where um, we were ranking games of the generation. I think, and okay. we both agreed that that was it. Uh, it might have been like best PS3 games or something, yeah. but um, yeah, it's fantastic. Really, yeah. really good. Have you played a Simon? And genuinely did scare me quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Have you played a Simon? Yeah, I played it. Um, I finally got around to playing Uncharted 4 and was really impressed by it. Uh, so played this afterwards, like straight afterwards. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't like it. Why? Uh, I found it a bit of a chore to play and I don't, I'm not always receptive to kind of gritty, suffering, misery porn. So it's okay. not it's not for me. But I respect everyone's opinion and don't think ill of me. <laughs> no, well, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yours is just wrong. No, and I, I, I am saying that tongue-in-cheek, but I, I've spoke to quite a few people who aren't a fan. And it was so well received and so well reviewed that I think to fully appreciate it, you need to have finished. You don't have to have finished it, but I think to appreciate the story and really, really understand it, I think you need to play through a, a, a big chunk of it. And that that's not a great thing to say about a game saying you need to play quite a lot of it in order to appreciate it or in order to enjoy it. But I do think that it gets better the further you, you play it. So it came out in 2013, um, PS3, and now obviously it's been, it was remastered for the PS4, and now there's a new version being released for the PS5. And everything about it is just top class. Naughty Dog um, are behind it. And I mean, when was the last time Naughty Dog put out a bad game? The voice acting on it is top notch. You've got Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson doing Joel and Ellie. Nolan North even makes an appearance later on as a, like cannibalistic bloke with a bit of a rapey vibe to him. Yeah, he's um, one of the scariest parts of the game, he is. Yeah, he is. Um, the opening, I mean, I know I asked this question on the last podcast, what's your favourite opening of a game? But for me, it probably is The Last of Us. Um, and I'm not going to spoil not going to spoil anything, but you start off, you play a, you're a little girl wandering around this house in the middle of the night there's stuff on the TV saying that there's uh, like bad things going on in the world outside and you're at home alone and you don't know what's going on. And um, Joel, who's the, the the girl's father, turns up with his brother Tommy and they've got, to, they've got to go. And it's a zombie outbreak. It's like the beginning of a zombie outbreak. And it's it, it's, it, it really sets up just how kind of gritty and miserable the world is going to be from when that ends because of of how that intro plays out then it skips to 20 years later and you're playing Joel who's a smuggler and early on you get asked to smuggle a girl and get her to somebody called the fireflies and you don't really know why but you get you get told to do it and Joel sees her very much as cargo um, and you soon find out why he's been asked to get at the fireflies, and it's because she's been infected. So there's a zombie outbreak. This is 20 years in. It's it's a horrible, bleak world. She's infected, but she didn't turn. So they think that she could be the cure. And you have to journey through the zombie wasteland, you and this girl, Ellie, 
Um, and it's at points it's terrifying. You there's clickers which are the scare. In my opinion, the scariest infected in the game. There's bloaters. And um, there's some incredible weapons through the game as well. I mean, my favourite was the bow and arrow because the clickers can't hear you, but they can see you. And if you manage to pop one of them through the head with a bow and arrow, it's incredibly satisfying. Um, and throughout the game, the story is is and the characters are the real strength throughout the game. It's um, as their relationship grows. And if anybody's seen the TV program, you'll know what what happens. But he eventually sees her as like his surrogate daughter, and he'll protect her at all costs. And the end of the game is mind-blowing. The finale of the game, when you know what's going to happen, and then you're Joel doing what you feel you need to do. The morally dubious um, ending of the game stayed with me for weeks. It's such a good game. And the thing is, like, it isn't just the story as well. I mean, everything about it is top tier, you know, like the... The, the graphics on the for the PS3, it was right at the end of the um the, the PS3's life span, but it still looks so so good. And the voice acting is is brilliant and they do a really good job of show don't tell. Not everything has to be discussed. You can like there's a bit where they see some giraffes and nothing's said. The, you just see these giraffes and it's 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 a really, really powerful moment. The soundtracks Perfect by Gustavo Santi Santa Olala, Argentinian fella. Um, it is a little bit linear. It's not open world in any way, shape, or form, but it's it's a ten out of ten in it, in all aspects. You've even got an online um, game built into it as well called Factions. But when it came out, it reviewed computer and video games, 10 out of 10. Edge, 10 out of 10. IGN, 10 out of 10. Official PlayStation Magazine, 10 out of 10. Metacritic is currently 95 out of 100. There's people who don't like it, but the people who I've spoken to who don't like it, and when I, I say why, maybe haven't got all that far through it. And I think you need to get at least a little way through it to fully understand what's going on. The Last of Us, that's me. There we go. I don't know how it actually plays anymore i would say you're absolutely bang on in terms of the story i think it's one of the best that's ever been in a game and the atmosphere and the world building is absolutely top notch i just don't know how good it is to play anymore that makes sense i I did find some of the stealthy stuff a bit laborious after a while and and it did have that sort of ps3 era naughty dog combat that wasn't quite as refined as they got it with Uncharted 4, but um, no question that at times this game can be very, very scary. That's for sure. And they make humans scary as well. Like, you genuinely feel... Yeah, David, this guy who's voiced by Nolan North, yeah. is a terrifying man, and the, the boss fight that you have to play as Ellie in, yeah. you genuinely want to kill this this guy. And it's very well done in the TV series as well, I think, that, that whole part of it. Um, but I didn't actually get that far in the TV show. I need to go back and finish. I've that. Watched, I've watched the whole thing. It's um, it's definitely worth watching. the The finale of the game, which for me, the thing I liked about the finale of the game is you are so overpowered as well. They give you weapons that were just like I, I can't I can't really explain what I'm talking about without spoiling without spoiling the end of the game, which I won't do. But um, I, I loved every minute. I mean, I do think. I mean, I know that they've released 
the new version on the PS1 with the combat system from The Last of Us Part Two. But I, I, oh right, okay. So that that PS5 what, one, yeah, the PS5 one, The Last of Us Part One, they've called it. It's got the combat system from Last of Us Two. So mm-hmm. that that's the big improvement that the, uh, that's one of the big improvements that they made on the new version. But I, I mean, I've played the PS3 version relatively recently just to check it out in a, in preparation for this, mm. and I think it, I still think it plays fine. I still, still still think it plays really well. I mean, when it came out in 2013, I don't think I was blown away by it. And as I say, I do think maybe it is a little bit linear for some people, um, and there is maybe one too many you've got to push a crate or something into some water so that Ellie can float over to the other side of some of a bit of water because you can't swim or whatever. I do think that maybe there's a one too many of them, but it's it's such a such a great game. And the story's brilliant. Like Simon I'd I'd implore you to go back and give it another go. It's not a long game, you can complete it in about fifteen hours. So I know I mean I, I know I know what happens. I know the entire story. Like, I don't see how you can be around gaming and not know. Um, I don't know. I, <clears throat> I'm like this, but people people always say, oh, yeah, I'm, Simon's my favourite or whatever. I'm going to fall down now. This is why I don't, because it, it it's one of my unpopular opinions. Like, for me, Last of Us is case zero of Sony's kind of deep game. The, the Simon, AAA stop Sony trying studio. to be edgy. You're about as edgy as a fucking mm-hmm. Satsuma, mate. D- on, what's, your beef with, what's your beef with Sony? Go on. You've talked. You're hinting about this on. Well, no, um... he's, he's cut me off, Fanny. I'm not going to say it now. Forget <laughs> about it. Um, okay, forget about it. This this Druckman guy. Um, I looked it up. He said Naughty Dog doesn't think in terms of fun. Fun's like a banned word. Um, he doesn't want to make games. He wants to make gritty Netflix series. Is Last of Us is the worst case of that. Everyone who likes it. I don't know. I'm not into like this gritty. I don't. It's not for me. I played it directly after I played Uncharted Two, which was it, uh, Uncharted Two, Uncharted Four, which took a while to get going, but it was brilliant. Um, but it was also really kind of bright and vibrant. And then to go to that, it was it was like a, it was just a, it was just a chore. I would describe Last of Us as a chore, and I know I know that puts me in a minority, but I. Like I said, really early on this podcast, I don't feel zombies either. And lots of people argue that they aren't zombies, they're infected, but it's the same thing to me. Mushroom zombies are the same as undead They zombies. are zombies, aren't they? They're just not called zombies. Basically. But what what was your, um, what were you saying about your Sony game? Because you mentioned this one when I talked about God of War, that you've got a, a, a thing with... Sony's AAA titles. I mean, I've got an, I've got an issue with all the three main, <laughs> but the, my issue with Sony is that they they want they're, they're de-gamifying games, like they're making them into interactive, cinematic, artful pieces. Um, sometimes I still really like it, like God of War. Sometimes it puts me right off, like Last of Us. And I don't, you know, I don't want to. I'm not being edgy. I don't want to cause arguments. That's just how I feel. It's just how I feel. Not going to get any arguments from me. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed every minute. And I do, it. yeah, and I respect it. I've written about it multiple times because you know, in my kind of freelance work, you can't avoid that game. Mm. Um, but that—that's my person. I don't theme. believe you've ever been in an argument in your life, Simon. You fluffy marshmallow. Do you want to bloody find <laughs> out, Steve? <laughs> no, I mean, I'll push it as far as I can and see. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I you know. It's up there, isn't it? I think uh, Alex has got a 
got a a rival to win. Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? I was always going to pick at it. I didn't really have to think too much about it. I, I mean, I've got some honourable. I think there's so many games we could have picked. Um, and the, I think I said earlier in the week when we were chatting, like I was 91 point something percent sure I was going to go for it because if I didn't, I was going to go for a Resident Evil game, but I knew that Alex would go for one. So I didn't. And I don't even know which one I would have went for. Maybe the first one. Mm-hmm. But Last of Us, I mean, while I'm talking about The Last of Us, The Last of Us 2 is... Um, That's not... Is is that as much of a horror experience as the first one? Or is it more about just being very brutal and saying violence is bad in a... No, I think, I mean, it is, it is as much of a, a horror game, but you've got the added aspect that there's these two groups of people at each other's throats as well. And I think... It's quite jarring that you don't you play as in Last of Us Two. First of all, it's it's hated by a lot of people, yeah, it is. because of a specific story choice that they made. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of like if I had voted Last of Us Two, there's some people out there who would never have who would have I would they would hate me because the the they feel so strongly about. Last of Us 2. I'm glad um, mm. Simon's gone because I can talk about Last of Us because he hates Last of Us. <laughs> Absolutely despised it. I can tell he was angry that I mentioned it. But um, Last of Us 2, it's quite jarring that you play as you, you switch between two characters who want to kill each other. Mm. And I find that a really, really tricky thing Ooh. to do. But um, Last of Us 2 is brilliant. Absolutely love it. The I don't think Last of Us will win. Because, like, dare I say, and this is a terrible thing to say, but there'll be listeners out there. And you know, we talk, we got that question last week from the person who did the cat, the last, not last episode, the episode before from the, the lady who did the cat poem. And she said, like, why is there all this arguing online about between Xbox and PS5? Oh, yeah. I think because I've gone for a very much like a Sony game, the people who just won't vote for it. Maybe. Maybe. There's a lot of you out there, though. Yeah, I mean it's it is a it is a brilliant game. You also think about everybody likes it except Simon. A lot of people really consider Resident Evil. Uh, I know it's not Sony exclusive, but well, I always think PlayStation. <clears throat> I think yeah. Resident Evil. We can do uh, honorable mentions. I've got a big long you? list. Uh, not a big long list. I've got a, I've got some uh, on me. Jot it down. So um, Silent Hill, Silent Hill Two. Silent Hill Two is is up there for me. It would have been. Second or third, if I think if I was in my list of things I would go for, if it wasn't so obviously going to be a Resi game, yeah, Silent Hill Two is amazing, so atmospheric, yeah. Um, Castlevania, does that count? Uh, I guess it fits into which the one you're thinking? It? It's got Dracula in it and yeah. zombies and vampires and werewolves. Yeah. So Did you play Castlevania yeah. Symphony of the Night. That's a kind I mean, of a yeah. game. Did you play the first? Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Yeah, that was great. That was kind of a fairy tale horror. That was really good, that one. Yeah, I really like that game. Um and one that we talked about through the week on when we we're chatting, Luigi's Mansion. Love Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 on the Switch. I played that when I was away for a week. Um and during COVID, I think, and I absolutely loved it. Everything about it. Um, I played that on a holiday during COVID as well. Oh, did you? Yeah. That must have been what everybody was doing. Oh, no, everybody was playing Animal Crossing, weren't they? Yeah, apparently. Because it was the only way you were allowed to get out. 
that's the game about the horrors of capitalism. So then it's a horror yeah. game of its own. Um, the games, horrors I'm... of being chased by spiders on desert islands in the middle yeah, of the good night. Point. Good point. The uh, a few other games I've written down, most of which have got the word "dead" in them. Dead, <laughs> Dead Rising. Dead Rising rules. Yeah, absolutely love Dead Rising too. Wandering around a shopping centre, turning um, a torch and a diamond or something into a lightsaber. Yeah, the DIY kind of like hodgepodge yeah. stuff they added to that game was very very fun. Yeah, I love that. Um, Dead Island, another new newest one's only just recently came out. Shaking your head, knocking. I, I couldn't get Island. on with Dead Island. No. It had an amazing trailer that made it look like it was going to be the most fantastic game of all and time. A pretty banging kind of like soundtrack a, as well, didn't it? Voodoo, yeah, voodoo bitch, bitch, wasn't it? Janky. Um, Dead Space. Dead Space, yeah. The first Dead Space is mental. Yeah, so scary. Um, it seems no. like, yeah, you, you've you've mentioned a lot of games there I would have <laughs> wished we'd had nominated instead of what we've got, but there we go. I know. Um, I mean, I've, I've even, I've got a couple of others jotted down, like um, Days Gone. Which, yeah, days which gone. I, I I loved, and I know it's not a particularly. Popular you could game. maybe have a shout for that if we did the seven out of tens. Well, I've already checked what its score is on Metacritic. So it's too high, seventy-one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I know, I know. That's why I wasn't going to mention uh, it today. Um, what was I going to? We recently played uh, Layers of Fear for Winner Is You. That game scared me shitless. It's like a. It's really almost a walking sim puzzle game sort of thing but that the the atmosphere they build up in that game even though it's only a couple of hours long is is well it's which is a good thing because if it was any longer i would have probably had a heart attack that game is terrifying there was one i was just going to bring up a minute ago oh yeah parasite eve fucking love parasite eve parasite eve parasite eve 2 was uh was really really good but yeah that's more that went more Resident Evil, didn't yeah, it? They tried yeah. to to push it more towards being just an action horror game, whereas the first Parasite, which is like a almost like a turn based RPG, the JRPG, but also a horror game, is um, severely underrated. My my big honourable mention that that horror game that shares the limelight for me would be Alan Wake. Um, I wouldn't say Alan Wake is scary, but it's very atmospheric and it's really good. <laughs> That's so, funny because, <laughs> yeah, that's so funny because the episode of Winners of You that's just come out, we played Fear. The next episode that come is coming out, we're playing Alan Wake. <laughs> it's just um, like, yeah, it is very atmospheric. You're right. Again, it's not as you say, it's not terrifying, but I think that they the way they play with like light and darkness in that game. Yeah, it nails the Stephen King psychological thing. stuff. Yeah, because it, it can be quite um, light hearted at times, which Stephen King does. Yeah. Um, which I think it's why it's so effective. Um, and that, like you know, the relationship between Alan and his agent guy is brilliant. But um, oh, Barry, yeah. yeah, Barry, that's it. But then I... um, it does get pretty. It, I mean, it there's it has its moments. Like the oh the, yeah, the black uh, the black hooded lady in the the toilets of the diner and stuff. Yeah, like. the, when it's like making sort of possessed diggers come straight at you. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, the, uh, the trees and stuff. Yeah, the class there, the combine yeah, harvester. The harvester yeah. is insane. So yeah, I really like really think Alan Wake's a brilliant game. Like, it's one of those games that I forget about. Um, and then someone will say, someone will bring it up, and I'm like, oh yeah, that is brilliant, Alan Wake. I totally forgot that even existed, but it was really, really good. Um, so that would that would have been my I'm very hyped for Alan Wake too, actually. Yeah, me too, yeah. 
Can't wait for that. We had a few honourable mentions as well. Um, Go for it. Ones that have already been nominated either today or for recent pods. Uh, Zombie Revenge is something that I nominated for the, uh, uh, was it for Beat'em Ups? Or I think it was. Yeah, I think so. Um, House of the Dead, you also, you nominated that last week, so that would have definitely been a Nash out. Resident Evil was obviously going to yeah. come up. If it wasn't the first one, I would have gone for probably Code Veronica. Um, but games that um, initially popped into my head, uh, Bendy and the Ink Machine. Which <laughs> what yeah, I watched it's like a, it's a kids horror game. Um, All right, okay. And uh, I played that with my daughter uh, during lockdown, and it's suitably freaky. What's particularly uh, freaky about it is the iconography, the the the, um, the character of Bendy, um, and the uh, the aesthetic of it is, <laughs> is particularly. So it's a game we're talking kids kids horror, but they did enough to kind of, enough yeah. to freak it's me out. It's kind of a cup, Cuphead looking thing. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, and also, Hello Neighbor was a a, a game which uh, you know a kids yeah. survival, which which I, I love that game. It's a shame it was so janky. Um, like just sometimes you're meant to be picking up an item and it's just not not picking up. But again, the aesthetic of that game, the particular design, it was all almost like the buildings were designed by like some. Like you know, you get like in in films, you get some freaky kid who draws some crazy picture, you know, and it's it's, it's like the whole thing was done in that kind of weird art style. Um, and he eventually kidnaps you, and you have to uh, escape from his house. So it's just got a, a really good kind of a freaky aesthetic. And I love the way it didn't hold your hand for anything. It really like gave you no help whatsoever as to what the hell you were doing. Um, but um, honorable mention. I do think uh, I was going to uh, name Red Dead Rising as well as the first game I ever played in in HD, and <laughs> I'm glad to hear that because if you obviously played it on an SD TV, you couldn't read any of the text exactly. in the game. Well, well, no, we didn't. No, it's the first game. Sorry, there's the first game that made me <laughs> need to play games yeah. in HD. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, what yeah. the fuck is this? Yes, so that was what inspired us to get HD TV. Um, and I do think that Halo uh, needs a mention for the level three four three Guilty Spark because that is without doubt mm. my favourite reveal um, from from video game history, where the game just completely changes on a six months. You think you know what it is, you think you know what you're doing, you think you've got a hang of it, then all of a sudden a massive curveball. And the way they introduce it, it's like that visual storytelling, just picking up slight clues along the way, just feeling everything slightly off, you know, hearing these noises just... And then you get to the... Um, uh, you get to the room and you watch the the clips uh, on the guy's helmet on Jenkins's helmet, and then you realise that you're in the room where it all happened, and then just bang! All of a sudden, you're into like survival mode, and it's become a horror game. I do think that for itself uh, needs an honourable mention. And this might seem completely fucking mental to you, but Doom. I was going to say when Doom, Doom first came out. When I'm um, obviously it's not the first ever first person shooter, but it was the first one that did it that well. Actually, made you you know it's such a step up from everything that had gone before, like the Wolfenstein, etc. Mm. And um, I think a lot of people were genuinely freaked out playing that game. Um, just just yeah, feeling the that you were of that game are deeply rooted in horror. Yeah, just feeling just, that you were in that action, feeling more in that action than you ever have done before. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, but couldn't you hear the the noises of what was going on in the next room before you opened the door? I was just about to say, those horrible noises, yeah. yeah. It's them grunting and screaming at and you. And there's yeah. something about that, those transitions in games, which are really what grab your, your attention. I think that's also the same thing for me for Resident Evil, for the first one, when you were going up some steps or when you were waiting for the doors to open. You just had that 
foreboding kind of like, oh my God, here we go, kind of feel. It's the anticipation in between which really builds. So yeah, Doom did that fantastically, um, which which might seem mad to anyone who, who didn't play it at the time. But for us back then in 93, it was it was quite quite freaky. I'm going mm. to do a quick out of left field honourable mention then. And I'm going to say Subnautica because Jesus Christ is that game terrifying. If you, <laughs> if you don't like the idea of being in open water with darkness in all directions and just strange, bizarre noises. Yeah, I don't like the, uh, yeah, I don't like the thought Good that Lord, whatsoever. that game was unsettling to the max. Brilliant, brilliant though. Skin. But yeah, good. <laughs> screw that, screw that. Well, while we're talking about aquatic-based arseholes, um, we're talking about earlier about the not really 16-bit scary games. I have talked about this before, and I did write an article at length, but fucking Echo, man. Yeah. That game <laughs> is freaky as shit. Especially you're just having a nice little frolic in the water, then all of a sudden, bang, all your family is sucked out, and you're dumped back into <laughs> the water, floating about with this really haunting timber. Like, never before is the, I think when I wrote my review, never before is the Mega Drive sound chip sounded more plaintive. It's just really this haunting melody, this feeling of alone, and then also going, what the fuck has just happened? I thought I knew what this game was. <laughs> and you just go, oh shit, no. That game, that moment there, I think, yeah, that stayed with me when that that first happened. And also knowing this freaky backstory about the guy. Well, yeah, I was going to say a whole big thing. part of that was what you revealed in that yeah, article. I will share that at some point, so I don't have to bang on about it. I think two two games that I have actually never managed to finish because they scared me so much are Fatal Frame Two, and more so Condemned Criminal Origins. One of the early Xbox 360 games, absolutely scared the pants off me. I can't, I can't finish that game; it's too scary. The bit in the the mall, a shopping mall, or whatever it is, where you've got mannequins and the lights keep flickering on and off, and when they come back on, the mannequins have all moved around and got closer to you and start boxing you in and stuff. Like really, really terrifying. And Fatal Frame Two is just an excellent like Japanese psychological horror where you have to take pictures of ghosts to attack them. But there's some excellent sound design in that. It really shits me up. But I suppose we could go on all night long with good horror games. There's so many more. Um, if you want any of the ones we've just said to be in the Hall of Fame, then you need to go to X and go to at VG underscore HOF and your games to nominate, uh, sorry, to vote on that have been nominated are one more time. Fear, Friday the 13th, the computer game, Resident Evil 2 and The Last of Us. Before we go, there's a brand new horror to get involved with and that is the horror of the email that we have received from, I suppose he's friend of the show by this point, Mr. Ryan Daniels, also known as The Shagger. The He emailed videogamehof at gmail.com. Please do that as well. We love getting emails from our listeners, especially this dude. His subject is i shag the best you feel me which isn't quite as good as the one where he said i shag whatever it was long and hard and long and hard or whatever it was uh he says yo alan i like you reading my poem how are you doing i'm well thanks shagger thanks man he says i meet rachel riley from <laughs> well he says countdown but he's he's omitted a, one of the word, letters from the word countdown that i don't think i, I want to say um no, I'm going to say, I meet Rachel Riley from Countdown recently. She was into the shagger. What famous peeps you met? Uh, I've met Greg Davies. 
was he uh, nice? in Aberdeen. No, he was pissed off. Oh, was he? Um, yeah. Probably because I said to him that I loved him in the Inbetweeners and he was there to do a stand-up show. So I wasn't as au fait with his stand-up material back then and I probably insulted him by talking about the show that he wasn't there to promote. But I've got a picture with him. Did I've you? also met the cat, which was much better. The cat from Red Dwarf. I oh, met him. John Jules. Yeah, I met him at a comic, uh, MCM Comic Con, I think. And um, we got in there before he'd started charging and managed to get a picture with him. And uh, But before I got my picture taken, there was somebody else in front of me to, waiting to do it. And he said, oh, do you mind taking my picture with him? And I said, yeah, yeah, give me your phone. He gave me his phone. But it, it locked when he handed it to me. And I said, um, oh, it's gone, buddy. But look on the bright side. And then Danny John Jules, at the same time as me, went, it's gone, buddy. And after we'd finished talking to him, I said, thanks very much. And he he legitimately stepped back and then slid over to his seat and went, yeah, and sat down. And I just thought that was the fucking coolest shit. I was like, that's so much better than I expected anyone famous to be in real life. Just proper playing into your character. What a legend. Amazing. Yeah. So that's the best one I've met. Um, you befriended a celeb at the Blackpool event last year. I met John Romero. Of course I did. Yeah. yeah. Actually, to be fair, John Romero is um, was a lovely bloke. Probably because I helped him take some boxes of his own merch out of his car for him because I was like proper standing. Like, would you like to help me to Romero? Uh, but it was nice. And his wife's nice too. I forgot about that. That's, that's shocking behaviour. Yeah, so I met John Romero in Blackpool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I paid him money to sign a, a poster for me, even though I helped him get stuff out of his car. Maybe he's not that nice. <laughs> Should we make Steve go last? Because he's got, I mean, he's got loads of mega celebrity friends, hasn't he? Well, he is a yeah. celebrity, isn't he? Yeah, I, but none of us have been totally. upstaged by uh, Freddie Flintoff, to no, be fair. To You've got the best story of them all. Uh, well, I met him, at the very least. I'll let, Steve, well, I'll let Simon go, because I think he was about to say something in there. I've got a couple... Yeah, I've, I've not really met. I met uh, like most people won't know who these people are. I when I was a kid, I remember meeting Jeff Capes, the strong man. <laughs> nice. Do you remember Jeff Capes? Yeah, I had yeah. Jeff Capes yeah. uh, decathlon on the BBC Thirty Two. Oh, brilliant! Bloody hell, uh, Emlyn Hughes. I've met him, and then um, when I was at college, we did a. Oh yeah, I've met a World Cup winner. So when when we were at college, we did. Uh, the local golf course was doing a celebrity tournament and like we ended up filming it and we were going to make a, make a DVD of it or whatever. Um, and there was lots of famous people there. And I, I ended up meeting Martin Peters who played for the 1966 world cup winning team. Very nice. That's um, a great one. Yeah. And I, I ended up chatting to a couple of premiership referees. Um, uh, what, what were they called? I can't remember their names now. Uriah Reddy. No, it's something. Someone, some one of them. His last name was Dunn. Oh, I don't oh, know. Don't know. It's gone. Uh, Nick Berry was there. Ian Botham. Um, <laughs> you remember Nick Berry from Heartbeat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I met uh, Scotty Too Hot in Grandmaster Sexy. Oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, we went to this thing in in my town. They they were Grandmaster Sexy. Yeah, yeah, he's gone now. Um, we went to a show. It was like a meet and greet and a little wrestling show. Me and my niece went randomly. Um, and we we paid 
to like have a photo with them and mm-hmm. then to sign it. And um, the the location where it was was saying that we'd paid the people who were who were coming. Like it's, it's complicated. Like like one one party was saying we paid for the photo by the other party, and then they were saying no, you pay for that photo. And then by the end of it, it was too late for one of them. Um, and Scotty Too Hot, he was like, look, they've paid someone, so they're getting their photo and, like, made them take a photo with us. And, nice. like, yeah, what he was a total hero. And when I spoke to Grandmaster Sexay, I was like, uh, I said, oh, I love that uh, Royal Rumble 2000 where you, you kind of stopped the whole thing and danced with Rikishi. And he said, yeah, we, oh, no, how did he word it? Yeah, we shut that thing down. That's what he said, you know. <laughs> No, they did, yeah. Yeah. What, what I think somebody, I think they definitely went over the old uh, one minute and a half yes. between entrances on that one. And then Rikishi eliminated both of them. That was brilliant. Oh, it's just top tier wrestling. Yeah. That was. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. I don't think I've met anyone else. Oh, I met Kerry Gilbert, one of the Arsenal Invincibles. Like, yeah, he's not very famous. He, he was. Say, who? <laughs> he was like the second choice left left back, I think. Um, in the Invincibles okay. team, but he moved to Yeovil. Um, ah, okay. And he came in. I worked in the big game shop in the town centre at the time, and he came in and he bought a PS3 with FIFA, and I didn't realise who he was until I had to look up his name. And at that point, he was on the phone to someone, so I couldn't, like, mark out and say, <laughs> you've probably met an actual superstar, Thierry Henry or someone. <laughs> the real ones. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my little list. There you go. That was good. I met Benji from Skindred. That was good. That's I've my... seen them. They were the first band I ever saw live, apart from the Wurzels, which I didn't see through choice. <laughs> well, I mean, they came to your door. They were doing like like carol singers. They, they were at school. They, they did a gig at my school. <laughs> it must be a rite of passage. Do they go around all the schools when you reach a certain age? They must have done, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I, I saw them as well. Like, oh dear. Stick them on the back of a milk Actually, float and they just go around the village centres around Somerset. It is almost like a rock concert, though. You know, those accordions and stamping of feet, it can get pretty, can get pretty raucous. It can get to quite the hoot nanny after a while. Oh, yes. Yeah, bit of a hoe down there. But yeah, we met Benji because uh, a friend of mine worked on the the like the the truss that they hung up for the main stage at download one year so we got backstage passes and we met quite a lot of people and we saw phil anselmo the notorious white (laughs) supremacist lead singer of pantera kind of met him more sort of saw him realized he was being a bit larry and decided to step quite far away because we were very scared but we had a nice chat with some heavy metal blokes that year i met the the now dead drummer of avenge sevenfold that was weird Anyway, uh, is Rob going next, and then Steve's going to like Steve will blow us away with some of the <laughs> some of the celebrities that he knows. Um, I've been I spent a day in a Premier League referees van. <laughs> Who was it? Um, it was a fella called Al. Sure you a fella called talk Alan. about this? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It was consensual. I was meant to be there. I wasn't. I wasn't kidnapped or anything. It was a blow called. Al- I don't know if I should say his no, name. No, I don't think now. you should. <laughs> so we know what the accusation is. Um, it was a fella called Alan Wilkie. Oh, um, I know his name. He he was a referee, but he was a referee back before the they were professional. So he had a job as well as being a Premier League referee. And um, when I was on work experience when I was at school, 
I spent a day, I spent a week with BT and he worked for BT at the time. And uh, I just, he took us around in his van and he, I don't think he said a word to us the whole time I was there. <laughs> what a prick. Yeah. Suitable for a referee. I've, yeah, well done, Steve, as well, for having a story about being in someone's van and not mentioning dogging. Yeah, well done. Good you're, work. You're my, my microphone was on mute. Sorry. Did you not notice my mouth going up and down? <laughs> um, I've met, uh, I shouldn't even mention these two. I've met Rolf Harris and Jimmy Savile. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Not at the same time. Um, no, that, that, that's, yeah, that's too much paedophile for yeah. one area. Um, I met the, the children would get sucked into a big black hole. I met the um, beast out the chase. Why? No, hang on, hang on, oh, hang on. Why, why and how have you met those two? Um, so Genu- you've met genuine evil. You've I been face to face with it. Face to face. So I remember going. Well, to hopefully, face to face. Anyway, anything else is. Yeah, it was face to face. Yeah, good. I remember. So Rolf Harris first. Um. We we went on a school trip into Newcastle, which isn't very exotic, given that I was at school in Newcastle. In Newcastle. <laughs> but basically, they took us into town and just kind of let us go and just said, right, like, meet back here for the bus. So you, you were free range, were you? For- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, 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 dropped us, they, they took us into town and said, right, off you go. Meet back here at, like, five o'clock for the – or three o'clock, whatever, for the bus back to school. And uh, Rolf Harris was signing copies of his new cassette – CD in R price. Do you remember R price? Yeah. And we didn't buy anything, but we just queued up to shake his hand because that was that was when he was a <laughs> national treasure back in the old uh, yeah, days. Yeah, well, he didn't need you to buy anything to you want to no, touch no. your hand. No, no. So we so um, we queued up to to say hello to Rolf, and um, I remember there was a TV like a TV crew there, and I remember one of the lads I was with said, "Rolf's the one for me" or something like that when he was being. <laughs> When uh, when he was being asked, like, oh, why why have you queued up to meet Rolf Harris? But um, and then at Savile, <laughs> um, I was at a, I was with me mum and me dad and me brother. I must have been about maybe like eight or nine or something. And I was at a, I don't remember why, but we're walking through like a hotel reception near the Metro Centre, and I heard like a jingling, like a jangling down the corridor, like round the the corner. And then he walked around the corner in a tracksuit like jingling as he came closer and he stopped and said, I'm not me, I'm me twin brother. And then walk, carried on walking and walked off. But yeah, so I've met, I've met genuine evil. Um, and I've also met the, you know, the beast out the chase. Oh, you've told that story on here yeah, before. Not on here, I don't think. I might have been no, staying have. a mania. Have I told it on here? Oh, anyway, he was, he, yeah, was, where, where he, he was horrible. Like, Blanked you or something? You didn't want you yeah. to talk to him. I yeah. met um, I met Brett the Hitman Hart, but I mean that that's not a chance meeting. I queued up to buy his book and shake his hand, just with Simon mentioned wrestling ones. Um, yeah, and obviously, one. then there was a Freddie Flintoff thing that you like alluded to earlier on, where I yeah. was meant to do a radio show with him, and somebody stole me spot. But I did get to have a drink with him afterwards, and he was a very nice man. That's good. Yeah, the, uh, the well, as we said on a. Few episodes ago, now the uh, the Sega Mania podcast has resurfaced on the internet. So yeah, go and check that it out. Stories out there. Go check it out. Check it out. I must have met other famous people, but um, yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. Ran past Carol Vorderman. That's a shame. Yeah. Right, Steve, go for it. But remember, we've only got seventeen minutes of recording. Yeah, no, there. I think what, what <laughs> we've got to get through the rest of the because, um, I have. Uh, I have crossed paths, and I only, I'll only mention people I actually like. There's no point in, in mentioning people that I think are dicks. Um, 
I I did. I've done a lot of work on film sets, and I used to be an actor. Um, I also went to drama school beforehand, so a lot of people I went to school with, uh, to drama school with, have have gone on to be famous in their own right. But I won't, I won't name drop my peers. I'll name drop people who, um, uh, who I were already famous, or you know, people that I might. So what I think what I'll probably better do is give you a, give you a list, and then maybe uh, just pick one for me because I got quite so the ones that I most. Um, the most famous people uh, that I admire most and have spent most time with and I've got a decent story about would be David Attenborough, uh, Rick Mail, Darren Brown, uh, Nigel Planer, Robbie Coltrane. I've probably got um, a decent story or, or more than that about, about all of those. Those are all people that I uh, am big fans of. Uh, Miles Hunt, some of the uh, lead singer of the Wonder Stuff I've, I've met on a couple of occasions and spoken to him. I'm, they're my favourite band, so... Um, that was uh, that was quite cool. Um, people who've come to watch me in something, I know, see me on stage, uh, have been Joel John Colshaw from Dead Ringers. Um, I remember because I got a photo of him. He came to see something. Uh, I've had a couple of chief commissioning editors of BBC Comedy come to see stuff. Um, I've had Prince Edward, Lisa Tarbuck, uh, Peter P- Pete Postlethwaite, brass brassed off whatever his big character oh, actor. Yeah. Um, as Rip. was Alan Armstrong, who was also in that because his son was was in it. Um, so yeah, uh, probably uh, those are. I haven't got stories about. It. They just came to see me and stuff. So shall I? As we could either ask. If, well, we've heard the David Attenborough and the Rick Mayo ones on the aforementioned Sega Mania podcast. I'd quite like to hear about Darren Brown. Okay, so Darren Brown. I don't know who that is, so I'll vote. You don't know who Darren, don't know Brown, Darren is. Brown is. You fucking soft weirdo. <laughs> Doesn't get Channel Four down in, in Somerset. How can you not know who Darren Brown is? That's like not knowing who the, the Queen was. Well, who is it then? Right. So he's um. Uh, <laughs> so you call him a, a psychological illusionist, if you will. So a magician with oh, a twist. Yeah, and those yeah, people yeah. like very good at suggestion, like, planting like, ideas in people's heads, and and what have. normally kind of like tells you about what he's done afterwards, you know, or or, or even during, you know, he, he, he's. I, I was when he when he um, was doing trick or treat. I think season one or two. Um, I I did some filming for that. So my friend uh, Merrick was um, was in a lot of his tricks. So when he needed to set a trick up for someone, he was being the actor in that. They needed an extra body, and so um, so I got involved. Um, so I was already a massive fan of Darren Brown's. This is probably mid two thousands when when Trick or Treat came out. I was already a massive fan of his because I watched Mind Control and um, uh, another one of his shows that were on. The one that I was most impressed by was this um, was this time he took a guy to a, a supermarket and he was going to predict that he could pick any item from any shelf and only one item. And take a journey around for as long as he likes. And when he's found his item, put it in his trolley and bring it back. And he said to the guy, like, you can pick whatever you want. You know, you could get uh, crisps, you know, say uh, cheese and onion or salt and whatever. And you notice that you snagged on the fact that he said salt and whatever. And he packed the guy on the back as he sent him <laughs> off. And he had a sign on the back of his uh, 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 jumper that said, I'm off to buy vinegar. And sure enough, the guy meandered around the store for about five minutes and eventually came back with some balsamic vinegar. But what was really amazing about it was he said the, to the guy, right, I gave you a week ago, I gave you an envelope. Uh, have you got that envelope with you? And is it still unopened? He goes, yeah. And he pulls it out his pocket. And it's got this shape on it, which kind of looks like a city skyline. 
you know, it just looks like outline of, of, of skyscrapers. And he goes, right, um, there's actually nothing in that envelope. It was just, you know, what I want you to concentrate on what was the picture on the front. And this picture, the city skyline, what it looked like so, was also dotted around in various places on his way to work. And then he showed us the view that this guy took around the supermarket and the view, sorry, the, the, the journey he took up and down the aisles exactly replicated that image and it was just that's me just absolutely blew my mind right yeah that is wild so so i was massively into this guy so we did this um we did trick or treat uh my it was the task if you ever go back i think it's episode four uh it's where a guy also named steve uh, is made to lose his mind so my friend merrick is dressed as a tramp um he comes out um he doesn't know a trick's happening to him he's, he's a bugging him for change he's a tramp this other woman the girl i can't remember her name gives him a map and he starts following it. And I'm supposed to be dressed up like I've just had whatever trick it is done to me, like I've just lost my mind. So I've got makeup all over my face. It's smeared all over me and what have you. And I have to jump out of this guy in an alleyway just outside Trafalgar Square, and I just scare the shit out of him. Anyway, the guy goes in, and he sits there. Weird music gets played. He loses his mind, starts fucking himself up with makeup, and ends up dancing around in Trafalgar Square and what have you. Um, I think kind of dressed like a, like Darwin or something, some kind of restoration character. Um, but anyway, what's really cool about it is the whole time that I was there, every time I'd sit with, with Darren, we'd have a, you know, if you've ever been on a film set, it takes fucking hours. You know, there's a lot of hanging around and doing nothing. So we'd sit and he'd chat to us quite a lot. Um, and I sat there at the back of the theatre, cr- cr- no, not the Criterion. It was one along that Charing Cross Road anyway, a vaudeville or something like that. Um and I sat there and I talked to him so much about this trick that he did. I, was, I hammered him. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You've got to do more like that. Do more like that. And he was really kind of like taken aback because lots of people talk to him about his tricks, but they never brought that one up. It was always about the zombie one. There's one where he kind of tricks people into thinking they're in a, in a game. And um, then he... Uh, uh, so I hammered and hammered and hammered him about it. At the end of the day, anyway, he was like, right, when we finished, I'm going to take you, take you f- for a pizza. And he goes, all right, okay. So all of us, uh, myself, Merrick, uh, the guy who had the trick on him called Steve, and this other girl who was part of it as well, um, we're going to ZZ's, which is right across the road from the theatre. And for whatever reason, when you were going there, rather than turning right directly into ZZ's, he turned left. And us just thinking Darren Brown can't possibly make a mistake. We always just we just started following him, following him for about five minutes before he went, is it this way? And we all turned around, well, no, it's behind us. Just like a complete utter bunch of fucking morons. You're like, okay, just I think he's used to people acting weird around him. And then the uh, when he we had a pizza, he offered me the last slice of pizza and uh, he said, Do you want this? And held out and went, mm, and then he immediately licked it up, held it up to his face and licked it like a child, and then put it back down the table. And I was just like, how fucking old are you? <laughs> but anyway, guy was lovely. And then sure enough, I mean, the next thing he did after trick or treat, that thing that I hammered him about, that trick, he did the same thing on a large scale with a cab driver in London. But I like to think that maybe my hammering him for a full 10-hour, 12-hour day might have planted that little seed. <laughs> um, but nice. yeah, absolute fucking legend. So... That's that one. And if it, anyone wants to hear about any of the others, uh, I've got a story for another time, but you have to write in separately and request it. Yeah. <laughs> so who yeah, is he? I've seen Darren Brown at live a few times. And he, honestly, I don't know how he does what he does. He's such a clever bloke. He's amazing. And, um, one of the best bits of TV I've ever seen was when he did the Russian roulette. Yes. 
It was so yeah, tense. Was so, so clever. We all watched that at drama school. That was like the year before we, that year before I met him. One thing I didn't even notice, which is really apparent now, was that he's actually got a facial tick of some kind. Like you'll notice he, he kind mm. of nods twice quickly in succession. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, like a nervous thing, which was really apparent when I met him in person, but I never noticed it before on TV. And it was just kind of like the guy who's just so incredible to have such a, a really basic kind of like what's they call it a flaw, you know, just a quirk that it's just it was just really comforting. And he really seemed like quite a lovely but quite a lonely guy as well. I think he probably had people being very suspicious of him a whole life. This was before he came out as well, so maybe that was you know part and parcel of it. I don't want to judge, but he, he did. He just seemed like he was someone who who was really gracious to have these people. He's, you know, the, he really kind of put our arm around us and spent a lot of time with us. He was a really, truly stellar guy. So nothing but good things to say about. That is very cool. Nice. Oh, I met Pelantella. Forgot about that. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I saw him live in Vegas and they did the catching the bullet trick. And then they went and did like loads of photos and handshakes and stuff out the front of the, the Rio casino. I think we saw him in. Yeah, that was cool. Pen. Pen. The long-haired guy is absolutely like giant, Huge, as I'm sure yeah. we all know. Yeah. So add that to Greg Davis, and I've met some real giants in my time. Right back to the sh- <laughs> back to the shagger. We are running out of time. So the next, he has two questions, kind of not really. They are numbered correctly this week, which is excellent. <clears throat> Number one is: Are you going to come in my tent? I let you have a go on my new girl with a f- <laughs> face bigger than her head. I got you, dog. Uh, I'm even more desperate to come to the tent for that reason. The <clears throat> number two says, you wanted a poem about you for. I think you are the Allens family. This is a poem of things that frightening the shagger and almost nothing frightens the shagger. You feel me? But you spooky motherfuckers do. <laughs> Here's his poem. <laughs> I'm afraid of the dark. <laughs> I'm a head shark. <laughs> <laughs> bummed in the park <laughs> the allens family <laughs> harold shipman a flaming chip pan <laughs> ming is doing the can can <laughs> the allens family oh right said fred the evil dead <laughs> aunt mcpartland's forehead the uh, the Allen's family. Oh, oh, it's supposed to be like the Adams family. He's just it? noticed oh. that. Yeah, I just realised I was too busy laughing at fucking bummed in the puff. Home Alone, Al Capone, an epic poem. <laughs> Shagger. Oh my god. The Allen's family. <laughs> you, you make our week, boy. Oh, that was the best one. Yeah, there's no question about that. Oh. <laughs> right <laughs> anyone have anything to say about that um i i quite like to go to the tent but i would yeah. like to check out the girl with the face bigger than a head before i entered ideally <laughs> so if we could meet on the threshold shagger that would be nice um just so i can i know what i'm gonna get myself into <laughs> fantastic well done ryan cheers pal right uh, there's nothing else to say. I hope you all have a wonderful Halloween, if that's possible. Hope you enjoy playing and watching loads of spooky, scary shit. 
I am off to watch I Spit on Your Grave, Irreversible, and a Serbian film. And until next time, <laughs> thanks for listening. What are we doing next week, next episode? Next time we're doing a fucking thing I said at the beginning where we're all going to pick one each and all that stuff. Yes. I'm so bad at remembering that in the outro. Simon is right to pull me up on it every week because I am a disgrace. Thanks, everybody. Oh, listen to my spooky podcast. Oh, yeah, listen to Rob. Listen to How Haunted because yeah. he's done a Reek Gooden for Halloween that he did in, in an office somewhere. I don't know. Was that was that recorded? No, it wasn't, was it? He's done a Reek Good one. Is this not? Did you do a live one recently? I did a live ghost walk in Birmingham. Ooh, I walked nice. the str- walk. That was for me fiftieth episode. I walked the streets of Birmingham with a microphone, worried I was going to get stabbed. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's Birmingham itself and its denizens is scarier than any ghost you could have seen on that walk. I would have thought. Right. Anybody want to say anything before we go? Have a nice Halloween. Thanks, yeah. Shagger. Thanks, Shagger. Yeah. Keep it light. Don't, you know, don't do anything evil on Halloween. Just have fun. And if you are giving, like, drugs away in candy, like, just just let us know and I'll I'll help you out. (laughs) Cool. Goodbye. Bye.